The 309th Shir of Rambam. We're going to conclude the laws of Tayyim Venitan, the laws of, of claims, and we're going to move into Hilchas Nachlos, the laws of inheritance. With this, we will be concluding the 13th book of Rambam, known as Sefer Mishpatim. We have learned in great detail that it is a mitzvah from the Torah to evaluate claims, to respond to claims. Sometimes payments have to be made, and sometimes an oath has to be administered. And, and that's kind of the, the, the root of, of, of this mitzvah, which is mitzvah Deshem Avavah, 246 mitzvah in the Ramam system, that, the, that there's a positive mitzvah is that we should govern claims between people, litigation between people in accordance with the rules of the Torah. And the most basic, the most elementary law that we learned about, going back to the very beginning, as, as we are learning now, the 16th and final chapter of, of Tayyim Venitim, moving into Hesnachlis, is the idea that if a person makes a partial admission, it's called Meidebemiktas, so then they have to be a, a, make an oath. And, and as we learned, just to briefly recap, essentially, when somebody comes and makes a claim but has no proof to corroborate that claim, he has no documentation, he has no star, he has no testimony, no witnesses on the side. So Reuven is making a claim that Shimon owes money. And the Shimon says, Lahadam, I don't know who you are, I, your claim has no validity whatsoever, then in that case, Reuven can't enforce anything. He made a claim. He claims to be a claimant, but Shimon denies the fact that he's a claimant. So that's all. Shimon works free. However, if Shimon makes a partial admission, I know we learned this, I'm just simply repeating it, if Shimon makes a partial admission, then he says, yes, I, I owe you. You are a claimant, but not nearly the kind of claimant you claim to be. You say, I owe you $1,000. I owe you $100. That's all it is. So in the case of Meidah B'Miktas, we say now Reuven is a player. He has just been made into a claimant. Who? Shimon made him into a claimant. Shimon said, yes, it is true. Reuven actually has legal backing. He does have the right to make a claim. Ah, but his legal claim is not what it said it is. So what do we do now? So he says, take an oath. So today we're going to make a siyum. We're going to conclude the laws of Tehim Venitan. And we're going to say a very interesting halacha. The last two halachas go like this. The Rambam says it's forbidden for a person to make a false claim to kind of pervert the law or utilize the system of law in order to get what you rightfully have coming to you. In other words, so, so Reuven knows that if he comes to Shimon and says, Shimon, you owe me $100, that uh, Shimon's going to say, I owe you 50 or maybe, or maybe Shimon will deny it altogether. But if he comes and makes a large claim, and he says, hey, you owe me $1,000, and then Shimon will say with righteous indignation, $1,000, you, what are you talking about? I only owe you 100 And actually, that's what he wants to get. All he's looking to get is $100, but he knows if he asks for 100 maybe he'll get 20 So he thinks to himself, fine, so I'll be a little dishonest. I'm dealing with a fraudster anyway. So what if I twist things a little, I pervert things a little? I'm, I'm breaking the law by using the law. In other words, it's really coming to me. It's rightfully mine. And a lot of people would rationalize this. You know, well, it's fair. He didn't steal anything. He didn't take anything that isn't his. Comes the mitzvah Eshmavav and says that you're not allowed to do that. Part of fulfilling this mitzvah is that you deal with the claims as they are, without embellishing, without twisting, without changing, even if you have a rationale and ultimately you're just looking to get what's rightfully yours. So he says, and that goes the other way around too, a person is approached by somebody and the person says, you owe me an enormous amount of money. 
And he knows that he doesn't owe him an enormous amount of money. And he knows that the person is trying to foist upon him an oath. And he knows that he's just trying to put him in, in an uncomfortable position because maybe Shimon is a person who never wants to take an oath. There are many tzaddikim, big talmidim chachamim, who, who said they've never took an oath in their life. I'm not going to use God's name. Who knows? Maybe I'm not making an oath. And, and this fellow, Ruvain, he's, he's a lowlife. He's a fraudster. He knows that Shimon is of impeccable character. He knows that his integrity is beyond any reproach. So therefore, he says, ah... I'm going to go and say, you owe me $1,000. Shimon, of course, is going to tell the truth. I only owe you, owe you $100. And I'm going to make, it, make an oath now, and I'm going to use this oath to extort all kinds of things. So, so Shimon thinks to himself, look, here's what I'm going to do. He's going to say, I owe you $1,000. I'm going to say, I don't owe you anything. Now, Reuben has no backing. He has no documentation. He has no aid. <laughs> so Shimon says, I don't owe you anything. It's goodbye. And then Shimon says, I'll give him the $100 I owe him. I'll slip it into his bank account. I'll send it through a friend. I'm not, I'm not planning to take anything that doesn't belong to me. Now to do that. Now to do that. You know that person's lying. He made an, ex an, an, an exaggerated claim. You still have to tell the truth. He makes you into a maid of a mix. He says you're making a partial admission. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. And if somebody chooses to do something dishonest, in the end, that's in Hashem's hands. You have to follow the laws, and that is included in the halachas of Tayyip and and the Ramam concludes the laws of Tehnitin with one final such halacha. So, we have uh, three people. Let's say Reuben, Shimon, Levi. Reuben, Shimon, and Levi are all in the same situation. Unfortunately for them, there's a man named Yehuda who is now notorious for taking loans and not repaying them. And Reuben, Shimon, and Levi know from friends of theirs, from Yisachar, Zvulun, and Don, and Aftali, that when you go to Yehuda and you say, Yehuda, you owe me money, that... Uh, you know, the Sacher and Zvulun made the same mistake of not creating documentation. They can't get the money because uh, Yehuda just denies everything. So, Reuven, Shimon, and Levi, these three buddies meet and say, what are we going to do? How are we going to get our money from Yehuda? And then Reuven says, I have the idea. He owes you $100, he owes me $100, he owes Shimon $100, he owes all three of us $100. So here's what he says. Reuven says, look, you, Shimon, and Levi are going to come as my witnesses. You're going to come as witnesses. You're going to say that Yehuda owes me $300. The truth is, he owes us $300. But we have no proof. Individually, we're not going to be able to get what's rightfully coming to us. You're going to come. You're going to be the witnesses. You'll say, he owes me $300. He's going to flip his lid because he's, he knows it's not true. And we know it's not true. But he's also going to know that all we're doing is taking what's rightfully ours. He can't deny that. Two witnesses. Kosher witnesses. Everything's kosher. I get the $300, we leave the courthouse, I give each of you 100 we all got our money, Shalom al Yisrael. <laughs> life, life is good, everything worked out fine. And we didn't do anything wrong, because Yehuda actually owed $300 to the three of us, and the three of us got the money it was owed to us. But we used devious methods. He never owed Reuven $300, and Shimon and Levi were not privy to that transaction, or to that loan. The Ramam says, this also may not be done, even though you are utilizing the laws of Toyin Vanitin, the laws of claimants, to get what's rightfully yours, but you're doing it deviously. And the Ramam finishes off with the Pasuk, in Pasha Meshpatim, Edvar Sheker Tirchok, that a person is morally and legally required to distance himself, even Midvar Sheker, even from something which is false. And since Yehuda doesn't owe $300 to Ruvain, that part is false, even though the general narrative is correct and true. So in that case, it shouldn't be done. And that is how, This is how we conclude the laws of Tehim
And the next two chapters of uh, the Limud Harambam are the first two, Perikrishna and Perikshani, of Hilchus Nachlas. Hilchus Nachlas deals with mitzvah ase, achas, one single mitzvah, and that is, interestingly, the 248th, the final mitzvah in the Rambam system of, of mitzvah, nomenclature, a super system that he creates where he gives mitzvah numbers. The last of the positive mitzvahs is the laws of inheritance. And uh, just to read for you from the Sefer HaMitzvahs, Hatsivui Shenitztavinu. This is the command that God gave us, Bedinei Nacholos, laws of inheritance. God says in his Torah, a person when he dies, and he doesn't have a son, etc. So this idea of is set in the context of the story of Benos Tzalafchad. It's set in the context of the story of the inheritance of the land of Eretz Yisrael. And we're going to learn that the primary notion of inheritance is through the male progeny. And so that Bnei Salafcha, the father didn't have any sons. He said, Banam Lehoyalai, Banoi, he didn't have sons, he had daughters. And they said, Do we then become the inheritors? Did we become the heirs? And the Torah says, Yes. This is not, the Ramah doesn't quote the rest of the Pasuk, but the rest of the Pasuk, the Parsha, the end of the Parsha is that this should be Chukat Mishpat, this should be the statute of justice. Kashativa Hashem as Moshe, as God commanded Moshe. Hold that thought, actually. I read to you from the end of the Parsha, which seems to be actually a more natural verse to, to quote. But the Ramah doesn't, the Book of Mitzvah, the Ramah does not quote that. The Ramah instead simply focuses on the idea of Ishkiyamos of an Enlo. He quotes the beginning of, of, of that collection of verses, of that part of the Torah that speaks about this law. The Rambam now says something very interesting. Umiklal Dinzet. In addition to this notion of a person receiving an inheritance from their father, so you have Yaakov dies and he leaves an inheritance for Reuven, Shimon, and Levi. Now, not like <laughs> the Reuven, Shimon, and Levi before, who are just using names who are not related now. Reuven, Shimon, and Levi are brothers again. And Yaakov is their father. So Yaakov dies and he leaves a bequeathment. He leaves up something that goes on to Reuven, to Shimon, and to Levi. Okay, so Yaakov has three sons. And these three sons are going to divide... The inheritance, up in, 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 in by triplicate, right? You're going to divide uh, the, the, the residuals, three, 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 right? Wrong. Because there's a law, something called Din HaBechor, the firstborn. The firstborn is Yoresh Pishnaim. He gets two portions, where everybody else gets one portion. And that's called the Mishpat Ni Mishpat HaYoresh, that's part of the laws that the Rambam says you should know. Without any doubt, this is an unusual verbiage here. He says, Michlal Dezeb Beli Safek. Without any question and no doubt about this, he says, that the laws of Bechor, of the firstborn receiving a double portion, is part of this mitzvah, which, as I said, the Ramam numbers 248. The laws of this mitzvah are explained in Pereches and Perekhes in the 8th and 9th chapters of Mesechet Bava Basra. There are three chapters that deal with litigation, monetary issues, damages, and how to prevent those things. And they're divided in three. They're called the bavot, the tomes. So the three tomes that deal with the jurisprudence and the legality of interpersonal relationship, what could go wrong, mostly fiduciary monetary issues, is bava kama, bava metzia, bava basa, which is tome A, middle, the first tome, the middle tome, and the last tome. This is dealt with in the last tome, in, in the end, actually, of mesechet bava basa. And this is the conclusion of mitzvah Reish from Ches. Actually, the Ramab goes on 
to now have the whole um, a long amount of writing that is attached to the 248th mitzvah. The Ramam kind of gives like a roundup about the positive mitzvahs. We, we are going to talk about that when we conclude study of the entire cycle of Rambam. We're actually going to read that in the Siyum. We're going to go through the details of that. For today's Sefer HaMitzvahs, we are simply going to focus on the first part of the Rambam's entry of, of Mitzvah 248, which is this specific Mitzvah. So, the laws of Nachlas are kind of straightforward, as, as, as we just saw, the notion that when somebody dies, the residuals of the deceased will go automatically to the heirs who are going to be receiving that which their father once owned. And when it comes to the laws of Nachlas, you have to understand that this is not a transaction per se. It's not like something is actually going from party A to party B. We'll talk about that later, which would, like in theory is taxable. But rather, Tachas, Avesecha, comes Banecha, that the children replace the fathers. Again, as I said, we'll talk about this later in greater detail, but point being, the, 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 the jurisdiction doesn't change or rather, the jurisdiction does change, the object doesn't change. It's not like the, 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 the home or, or, or the bank account goes from jurisdiction A to jurisdiction B. It's that B, who is the child, becomes jurisdiction A. That's the unique way in which the transfer of Nachlas works. It's not like there's a transfer of something to a new jurisdiction, but rather the jurisdiction itself is modified. And the, the rule is, Zechorim Kedimulinikeves, that females precede males, and the, in, when it comes to Yerusha, and I don't want to go into the whole philosophical thing now, but I'm just telling you simply, straight, matter-of-factly as it is, the first thing when it comes to Nachlas, when it comes to inheritance is that if there are sons, male sons, they will inherit that which belonged to the father. And that means that the, the land of Eretz Yisrael will stay within the purview of that tribe. Because if you, uh, a man from the tribe of Yehuda has sons, the daughters will not get the land. They are married to the tribes of Asher and Dan, for example. It will remain within Yehuda. And this is actually part of the discussion with regard to B'nai Slavchot, who had to marry fellow tribes people. Their husbands were also from the same tribe. Now, the, 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 just, just to make it very simple, the Rambam in, in, Mishnah, in, in Pirusha Mishnayis tells us that there are three Ikarim. This is in the end of Masechet Bava Basar, on page 88 of the mission over there. He says, Ikar number one, Kishiyamas Adam, when a person dies, Banov Kaid Min L'Nachalase. In Pirusha Mishnayis, the Rambam says, the sons are first in line to inherit that which belonged to him. Whatever he had during the course of his lifetime, now they are going to become the new owners. Ikar second principle is, whoever, kol hazoche Yerusha, if he would be, have the right to inherit, if he predeceases the inheritor, so let's say Yaakov is predeceased by his son Reuven, Reuven has a grandson whose name is Binyamin. So if Reuven's son, pardon me, Yaakov has a grandson whose name is Binyamin. So if Reuven predeceases Yaakov, and then Yaakov dies, so Reuven still inherits vicariously. He inherits through his son. His progeny will stand in his stead. And the third general rule is that Yerusha goes first to the male seed. If there is no male seed, from there it reverts to the female seed. And then there's a whole thing called Seder Nachalas, which we will, Bezrat Hashem, speak about tomorrow, and that's going to be all for the 309th Shir of Rambam.